Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, everybody. I'm Lou Dobbs, and this is The Great America Show. Delighted you're with us as we work to preserve and protect the American way. As is usual in these days of Biden and his Marxist dim administration, we have a lot to contend with. And today is no exception in Mr. Biden's ruinous regime's reign. It's beginning to look very possible that President Biden may be in the midst of what Senator Mitch McConnell calls a harebrained scheme to pack the U.S. Supreme Court. Fox News reporting that some Republican aides are actually saying that technically the Dems have already succeeded in packing the court. That's because Katanji Brown Jackson has been confirmed by the Senate, and the justice whose seat she will be taking is still in it. Justice Stephen Breyer hasn't yet retired and won't until June, or so we've been told. The White House is assuring news organizations that Jackson won't take her seat until Breyer has actually retired. As we say on The Great America Show, when we're not entirely sure of what's going on, stand by. We'll be watching this one very closely. We've also been watching and waiting to see when Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin would get to talk with his Chinese counterparts. They've kept him waiting for six months. The administration, it seems, has trouble getting foreign leaders to pick up their phones when they call. But Secretary Austin finally did get through. And apparently when he did, he got an earful from one of China's top military leaders, Defense Minister Wei. Wei warned Secretary Austin that Taiwan is part of China and that failure by the United States to recognize that, quote, unchangeable reality, end quote, would disrupt U.S.-China relations, and perhaps severely. The two defense leaders also talked about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the Russian war on Ukraine. Putin invaded Ukraine the same month that Russia and China announced their strategic partnership. And no word from the Pentagon on that particular part of the discussion. Not good. Also not good. Russia test-fired its hypersonic Satan II intercontinental ballistic nuke, the biggest such weapon on Earth. Putin warning that the 200-ton rocket with 12 nuclear warheads could destroy the entirety of the UK and with its 6,000-mile range could do the same to any target anywhere on our planet. No word from the White House or the Pentagon on that. As I said, also not good. And in the culture wars, just when you can't imagine that the Marxist left in this country could be more diabolical than they already are, comes this report from Pennsylvania. The Daily Mail reports a York County elementary school was considering an after-school satanic club for its young students, young as five years of age. 
all because the school had approved a Christian Bible study during school hours. Parents showed up at the school board meeting to protest the Satanist, and good triumphed over evil. The school board voted eight to one against the Satanic Club. Isn't it incredible that the school board had to even vote on such a monstrous idea, and that the idea got even one vote is still appalling. Thank God good prevailed. But these fights with the Marxist left seldom end so quickly. So stand by on that as well. We're on watch. And fortunately for all of us, our guest today has been watching out for the American people throughout the China virus pandemic. Dr. Robert Malone, he's a physician, virologist, biochemist. He's one of the inventors of mRNA. He's had the courage to take on the medical profession during the pandemic. Big Pharma, he took on and all their pals in big government and the public health agencies. Oh, yes. And the Marxist left in this country don't like Dr. Malone. Well, let's be straightforward. They hate him. They hate Dr. Malone. In a recent hit piece in the New York Times, their very first charge against Dr. Malone was this thunderous accusation against a man of science. The New York Times described Dr. Malone as a skeptic. A skeptic. Can you imagine? The Marxist Times has reached such a depth that being skeptical of orthodoxies and concentrated centers of power and wealth and authoritarians is now a slur in the time's eye. But not in ours. On The Great America Show, we call Dr. Malone a man of science and not only a skeptic, but a dissenter and voice of courage and reason. And he has been skeptical and he's been a critic of the public health policies of big government, big business, and a critic. There is no other way to put it. Yes, a critic of vaccines. Oh my gosh. Vaccines that were at times untested outside the usual protocols of sound and effective medical procedures, and in some cases, some that proved dangerous. And oh yes, Dr. Malone also wanted treatments of the virus, antivirals and more, instead of relying simply and solely on vaccines. In other words, Dr. Malone is also a great American. And now here is Dr. Robert Malone. Doctor, it's great to have you with us uh, here on the Great America Show again. Uh, just, just great to talk with you. I have to say, as we begin, uh, you know, I'm looking at the cases, the average uh, weekly case. Uh, it looks like we're in about as good a position as I can recall in some time. Uh, your thoughts on that? Lou, it's always my pleasure to talk to you and, and um, share some time and uh, particularly so as, you know, we're heading into spring and the grass is jumping out of the ground and it's looking like we may finally be getting ourselves out of this two year long tunnel of uh, um, <laughs> what was the president's words? Uh, darkness and death or something like that. Yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't inspiring. I remember that. Uh -huh. <laughs> so. So here we are. Yeah, it's I think um, we're moving. We seem to be moving into the uh, phase of assessment and um, uh, determination about what what actually transpired, what the true adverse events were, what um, we did right, what we did wrong, kind yeah. of a you know, I hope that we get to a lessons learned, 
there's going to be a lot of resistance to doing that. But but um, we seem to be moving into that phase. Uh, we'll know we're fully into it, as I always say, when the bureaucrats start congratulating each other and giving each other medals. <laughs> and we probably won't be watching uh, Dr. Fauci for that. Uh, because he congratulates himself every week, irrespective of his, <laughs> of his counsel or our previous forecast. Uh, so he is sort of, as they say, at a class by himself. But lessons learned, Just I think so. it's a, I, I, lessons learned. I think it's a wonderful way to look at uh, the experience of the past two years. It, it, we've lost a million Americans. We've had so many people seriously ill. Uh, and around the world, of course, the same experience, uh, at least in terms of having to deal with the death uh, and what has been at various times uh, just a raging pandemic. But what is the primary set of lessons that you think we should look to uh, right now as of this moment? Oh, uh, thank you so much for that. Uh, um I'm still grappling with that myself, and I don't want to be premature. So these are just kinds of uh, working working models or hypotheses. Mm -hmm. uh, clearly, suspending the normal rules of operation in clinical development was a bad idea. And even, even if you are a full-on believer of uh, all things good about these particular genetic vaccines, and uh, that uh, they truly are fully safe and effective without any adverse events. I think any sane person would have to acknowledge that the lack of transparency, uh, the rushing of the products out um, into the market, uh, the um, uh, suspension of normal medical ethics um, for an experimental product, all of those things have deeply damaged public trust in public health, the vaccine uh, uh, initiative globally, uh, pediatric vaccination, um, uh, trust in medicine, trust in our hospital systems, trust in our government. E even if you believe everything was good and there was no problems with the vaccines, I don't see how you can look at what's happened to the body politic in the United States and say, hey, this was good public policy. Hmm. Uh, I, think, I think the damage is, is going to last quite a long time. I'm, as you know, I'm increasingly looking towards my own version of, of what went wrong and what can we do about it and what is continuing to develop. We uh, have um, these what we've learned is the role of the uh, financial elite uh, as embodied in the World Economic Forum uh, in, in its various members and, and how they have manipulated the situation for their own financial uh, gain. And um, that, that, I think, uh, has revealed to many of us another deep, deep issue. Surprisingly, um, uh, Mr. Gates is now published a op-ed, a very long op-ed in the New York Times, which for some reason is completely non-critical of Mr. Gates, uh, 
opining that he is now making major strategic investments in the development of antiviral compounds for the next pandemic, and that he thinks that the next pandemic is going to be best uh, managed using uh, antiviral drugs and, and drug strategies rather than vaccines. Now, uh, I'm glad he's had that epiphany. I wish he had it two <laughs> years ago when I was saying that. Um, uh, but uh, I guess better late than never. But it underscores the, the, um, the problem with allowing billionaires, tech billionaires in particular, who have uh, gained their, their wealth and power consequent to activities in some other industry who then think that they must be uh, geniuses in all topics and uh, and that it's right and proper for them to profoundly influence things like world health. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Gates is just not qualified and, and he has never been qualified and his activities have deeply distorted um, global health and our significantly responsible for the public health tragedy that we've experienced, in my opinion. If if the likes of Mr. Gates and others had not been such staunch, and of course you mentioned Tony, such staunch advocates that there was only one solution, one ring to rule them all, which was vaccines, and had been willing to uh, concede the point that my colleagues have identified a variety, and to some extent myself and the team that I worked with, the DOD, had identified a variety of different repurposed drugs that uh, would save lives if administered early and were able to pretty much completely handle the uh, clinical consequences of the infection, then we wouldn't have had that profound loss of life that you just uh, mentioned. And, And that was actively suppressed, as we know. Uh, so I, I, I think that's, I, that's another big one. And I see some hope that they are at least on uh, subjects that are not overly political or already uh, deeply politicized, uh, willing to think about ended, independent objective reality. Uh, so for this craft, uh, I think, uh, you know, there, there have been a lot of lessons learned, and I think some people are actually applying the lessons uh, late and not enough of them, but some. The phrase that comes to my uh, lips is, uh, or to my mind is, uh, from your lips to God's ears. Um, I'm not so sanguine about your profession as you are. I, uh, but, you know, of course, I'm still smarting from uh, my good friends at the New York Times uh, and the little hit piece they did on me uh, a couple of Sundays ago. So, uh, um, well, you, I, can, you I, can see how much credit we give that. <laughs> you know, I yeah. hit, hit piece by the New York Times only means you're prodding the establishment, uh, dealing with a reality that they refuse to admit exists and that you're not a Marxist. Uh, I think that's sort of the summation that I would give it. <laughs> I, I, uh, yeah, I, uh, once again, we're aligned. Um, I have to be careful because there is a pending possible court case, let's say. Um, but uh, um, your points are, are well received. Uh, I, I think um, a deconstruction of what went on, which includes the willingness of the media to uh, accept the billion dollars 
from the U.S. government, as well as the nudging and uh, management directly from the CDC. We now know the names of the two people uh, who were uh, um, commissioned to manage this effort. That, you know, this this is another one of the, the deep, big lessons is a few years ago, uh, Congress passed a law which um, removed the restrictions on uh, our intelligence agencies from actively promoting propaganda to the American population. And, uh, and I think that, that if there is a, a turnover on the Hill with the midterms, that, that decision ha- has to be revisited. I, I mean, we just, uh, if, if you think about it, we have the government tapping uh, the treasury, which basically is saying they're borrowing money uh, to uh, run pol- political influence campaigns to promote their party's political agenda um, at the expense of free speech among Americans such as you or I, and uh, and actively targeting us and actively demeaning uh, and gaslighting and uh, defaming uh, folks like yourself and myself and, and my various physician colleagues. And that was premeditated and the media was absolutely complicit in it. And heavens knows how much of what we've experienced also reflected the influence of, in particular, the financial gods of big tech uh, that that for some reason we're just all in on vaccination of everybody. Uh, I again, I'm I'm struck that we somehow during this allowed government bureaucrats, journalists, and um, tech magnates to uh, establish uh, norms and practices in public health as opposed to allowing physicians to play their traditional role. You know, it it seems to me that there was in all of this, when President Trump took charge and uh, put together his uh, panel uh, to deal with with COVID and the pandemic, which is understandable, it's a pandemic, and therefore you want medical doctors and you want your public health officials. Appropriately done. but, But at the same time, that became sort of the tip of the pyramid rather than the uh, in the face of government on this issue and rather than involving the whole of government, which is what one does in a crisis, a, a, a national crisis, right? Uh, at least in this country, all of a sudden we were dealing only with institutions and those managing them. I, I concur. And I think that there is a lot of reveals that are going to come out about the mechanics of how that happened. I was on the phone with Robert Kennedy the other day, uh, who called me out of the blue, uh, telling me that I absolutely had to read this book called Davos Man that you and I had mentioned before the, mm-hmm. the start of today's session. And um, uh, he was uh, mentioning to me that there is evidence that BlackRock, prior to this outbreak, 
had swooped in and basically purchased all the hospital chains and had determined that the way that they would squeeze the remaining excess profit out of the hospital system in the United States was by uh, running the hospitals uh, at um, maximum capacity and minimizing unoccupied beds, for instance, in intensive care units. And so then we got the various media push saying, uh, Henny Penny, the sky is falling because the hospital beds are at 80% or 90% capacity. But that was by intention. That had nothing to do with the virus. Um, it had everything to do with BlackRock squeezing the last remaining uh, drips of profit out of the whole hospital system. Somehow, we're going to have to get to the bottom of all of this stuff, and it's going to take massive, massive hearings and um, some uh, serious think tank engagement. But I suspect that it's going to require a a congressional turnover and people like Ron Johnson uh, becoming empowered. Mm-hmm. Now, there are some signs that even Mr. DeSantis and his uh, um, public health right-hand person, Joe Latipo, are making headway just with the large data sets available in the state of Florida to start to disambiguate some of this uh, what appears to me to be nefarious activity that's going on. And I think we may get, I'm hopeful that we will get a foreshadowing of what might happen nationally. But even, even just the little bits, the little signs of positive development, such as Tennessee State now having enacted legislation that enables ivermectin dispensing over the counter for COVID is, is truly a sign of uh, hope and progress uh, for me. Again, getting back to the theme of uh, we just finished Easter and it's springtime and let's look for the bright side here. I, I'm not a journalist. I'm a, uh, I'm a host. Uh, I, I couldn't pronounce half the words that you have to deal with just a in the in the front of your brain uh, on a given a moment's uh, notice to resurrect from those files in, in that considerable brain. Uh, so, I mean, I just don't see why there isn't that uh, at least humility and respect, hum- humility on the part of the journalist and respect for your profession. Well, you just you just said two key words. Um that's so that gets right to something that the you know the three words I talk about all the way through this um, uh, integrity, dignity, and community. Um, you're adding respect and humility, which kind of flow from uh, integrity and, and really all three of those words. Um, uh, I as I have to be cautious about my any comments that I might make specifically about the New York times, because there's a reasonable chance I'm going to be going to court. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, and it appears that we may have a very strong case for exactly the reasons you're talking about. Um, What appears to be some overstepping, but uh, um, the, let me give you another example. Early on the Associated Press 
uh, really attacked me about work that our group was doing involving the use of uh, the drug famotidine, which is the stomach acid H2 blocker, and which is used by people with uh, a variety of mast cell syndromes, which it turns out uh, is partially what's going on in your lung, um, uh, together with this anti-inflammatory drug called celecoxib. And, uh, and the, the Associated Press decided to just do a total hit and, uh, and use the usual tactics and pejoratives. And it, it really damaged the esprit de corps of my team at a critical time. And uh, there's no, no consequences for that. There's no uh, uh, acknowledgement that what they did was wrong. There's no takebacks, uh, no acknowledgement that uh, it turned out that we were right about those agents, but even though they published at the time that we were wrong, much like the ivermectin story, but on a lesser level, because we never sought the publicity that was generated on ivermectin. But um, there's they, they operate um, in a world in which there is no legal accountability for their actions. So they have no, no disincentives to not sensationalize or misrepresent information. There's no consequences and they're, they're paid to, as I understand it, to uh, promote these various uh, storylines by a variety of players, including the US government and um, various uh, uh, pharmaceutical and financial interests. And they do it with impunity. And that's, that's another thing, you know, that we might want to look at is uh, whether or not there's a way to hold the press accountable for their own mis- and disinformation. As you know, there's now an effort to rewrite history a bit and for the press and various members of the press to deny their own mis- and disinformation activities. And of course, the notable example came, I think, at the University of Chicago recently regarding the Hunter Biden laptop. But uh, the press somehow, uh, um, and journalists refused to, to come to terms with their own role in this. I, I, there's another book that I recently finished that uh, was sent to be by my colleague to help me to understand all this called The Journalist and the Murderer. And uh, it covers, it's a deep dive that was done by an excellent reporter from the uh, New Yorker. And I think Janet McKenzie, I think may be her name. And uh, in it, she comes to terms with the fundamental lack of ethics in modern journalism and uh, um, makes some very strong statements about the nature of the relationship between the journalist and their subject. Journalists are basically paid to write a story and uh, they aren't, their, their uh, ability to get paid is, as we all know, it's a function of clicks or views or whatever the parameter is that is monetized. And it, it has no basis, it has no linkage to whether or not what they're reporting is 
uh, a fair and accurate representation of truth. And that's, uh, I, I think one of the things that coming out of this, I agree with you that I'm most disappointed in. And, and many of my colleagues have come to the point that, for instance, they can't even pick up the New York Times anymore. You know, or m- many of us um, are completely disaffected from uh, any kind of legacy media or mainstream press. And, and I think that that's reflected in the, the viewership numbers that, for instance, the abysmal viewership that we see for CNN, the failure of the new CNN uh, enterprise uh, that was stood up, the uh, um, dwindling subscriptions of uh, the likes of uh, a lot of the uh, monthlies such as Atlantic and uh, the dailies like the Times and the Post, Washington Post. I think that, that uh, again, trying to find a silver lining, much of the American public has increasingly recognized the need to reach uh, for alternative sources of information, such as your podcast here. Well, you know, thank you for that. I, I just want to share with you, though, uh, a new bill under consideration by the California State Legislature addresses what you're talking about, that is accountability. So the state of California under Gavin Newsom and the current Democratic uh, Party leadership uh, there's a, a raft of those bills. That was part of the genesis for the uh, Defeat the Mandates rally in L.A. Right. Uh, that I spoke at. And um, uh, I agree that there there is a group of bills that they've attempted to jam through that are really uh, an affront to free speech in in so many ways. And uh, it's got a lot of docs uh, pretty worked up. The, uh, and of course, uh, we cannot overlook the fact that Gavin Newsom is basically being groomed for the presidency by the whole party of Davos people. Sure. Um, he's absolutely a World Economic Forum uh, acolyte. And uh, so, um, but, but on a positive note, uh, Governor Inslee, also of Washington State, also a WEF acolyte, now finds himself in the position where his uh, medical advisors are telling him explicitly that they do not endorse uh, mandated COVID-19 vaccines for children, full stop, which is a huge, huge win in the state of Washington, given where they've come from. And, and that is, uh, and by the I, way, that's I a credit. huge win. That is a, I, well, I credit you and your group and a handful of other doctors, but let me say that is a huge win for, uh, for America because these idiots, uh, in biopharma have got to be brought under control. And they, I, I mean, it's to have even that thought after everyone acknowledges in the early stages of this one of the things they had right is that children were not dying in large numbers from the disease. They had that right and then ran from it when biopharma needed another uh, revenue stream, it seemed. This, this is, it's a symptom of the deeper uh, corruption uh, wherein uh, our entire federal and 
what a big reveal for me has been state and local government elected officials are compromised by the uh, financial resources of pharma in its many colors, uh, as well as the financial resources that the big investment groups are able to bring to bear, the Black Rocks and Vanguards and State Streets. And um, I, that I'm, uh, I am worried that uh, we not only lack the political will, but also now the horse is so far out of the barn, I don't know if we could put it back in the stall um, in, the, in the sense of what really should have been done over a decade ago, which is um, more active uh, use of the Sherman Antitrust Act and um, the the hand, the proper hand of the government. This is another one of those things I think we can all agree on is uh, government overregulation is a major problem and California is the poster child for that. But, uh, but yet there's also a right and proper role of government in ensuring a level playing field for competition. If, if, we're, gonna, if we're gonna live in a world of freedom to choose, and um, a uh, capitalist-based economy, which even the Chinese uh, seem to concur is the optimal economic system, uh, it, there must be a fair uh, and uh, not capricious overseer to ensure a level playing field. Otherwise, we get this uh, incremental stepwise corruption that has just destroyed our system. Dr. Malone, the fact of the matter is we have such a system. We have such agencies that are responsible for precisely what you're talking about, whether it is the, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the FTC, whether it is uh, the SEC, uh, whether you know, any number of roles for government from banking to finance to pharma, uh, the FDA even, it has a role. But what we have watched in the last 20 years in particular, let's maybe go back as far as 30 years ago, what we have watched is each one of those be whittled down in both their power and their enthusiasm to regulate. We talk about billionaires in this country and one of my great uh, annoyances is everybody talks about billionaires or financially, uh, you know, whatever? They're they're oligarchs. If they're oligarchs in Russia, they're oligarchs yes. in Eastern Europe. Yes, then by God, they're oligarchs here, and that's exactly what they Amen. are trying to influence outcomes and the direction of our society and our government and our people. That's all I want. I to add. I, I strongly, strongly concur, and. Uh, what it amounts to is a sellout of uh, the um, American experiment uh, by allowing the uh, accumulation of greater and greater wealth, which um, gives rise to greater and greater power to the point where uh, the very few who hold so much have uh, 
gamed the system so that they get more and more at the expense of all of us. And their appetites are insatiable. Uh, they, they, it, as far as I'm concerned, um, they, many of them exhibit the behaviors that fit uh, the psychological definitions for uh, socio or psychopathology. And uh, um, they, they seem to live in a world that is divorced from the likes of you or I. And that's been another one of the things that's really been bothering me, Lou, is is in my travels now, for whatever reason, like going to the Bitcoin conference down in Miami, I I find myself, uh, I think, mostly serving as the entertainment in many of these, but brought into circles with some of these hyper-wealthy and uh, I hear things that deeply trouble me, uh, such as ethical justification uh, for essentially farming humans. And that may sound crazy and shocking. And yet I've sat in on those conversations where um, people walked me down the logic that uh, uh, blood products derived from young people. Uh, can and and there is absolutely um, peer-reviewed data supporting this thesis that certain blood products from uh, young persons, uh, when administered to the aged, can reverse some of the effects of aging. When and you say so young persons, the logic, I'm sorry, doctor. When you say young persons, are I, you talking I, about children? Uh, we're talking about children. Yeah. Um, and so the, the, what I've, I, in one particularly shocking conversation I had, um, I, I learned, I, I got to listen to the rollout of a logic thread um, that proceeds along the lines of, if, if these are people that are in uh, distressed economies or economic environments, let's say emerging economies, that would likely be have a broody, nasty, nasty, poor, um, brutal, nasty, poor uh, life um, within their current context, and they're brought out of that and given a, a middle class lifestyle in education, in exchange for a monthly harvest of uh, blood products from them. Uh, what's the harm in that? They, they wouldn't have ever had that lifestyle uh, and they probably would have died young. So why, why shouldn't we do that? It's good for them and it's good for the old people. Um, I, the, the answer to that is that is farming and that turns them into farm animals. And uh, that is absolutely evil and the road to hell um, in my opinion. And, uh, but yet um, it's, it's being actively discussed as a business model. Well, and, and if you think that through, the thing that bothers me, that and the, the, Jeffrey, the Jeffrey Epstein story and, and what that means really, really bothers me because it implies, in my mind, that there's a cohort of hyper-wealthy 
that um, don't really have empathy or even any conscious awareness of the rest of us as independent human beings that deserve dignity and respect. Um, they are quite willing um, and seem to be uh, in, a, in a, a, an intellectual space wherein they see the rest of us as things which they can exploit for their own benefit, which is basically what they do as business people in many ways. Um, that's the modern business model is if we can make money at it and we can squeeze the workers, uh, what's wrong with that? Um, uh, well, that's, that's certainly the, I would have to say that is the ethic of modern, uh, uh, the 21st century uh, business. It, it, that would, yeah. I, I would, I would agree with that. I, I've got to ask you this though. I, it, to me, it just sounds like, you know, it's a, a technological version of a vampire. Uh, it, it's, and it's, it is. and it is a horror story. It is. <laughs> and, and I, it is exactly that. <laughs> and I don't understand. It is. It is. Yeah. What I don't understand is that there would be this discussion uh, about the welfare of, uh, you know, the, the person in an emerging market, a poor person. Uh, and suddenly you, you, <laughs> you make it okay because you're wealthy, fabulously wealthy, and you're going to put this kid in a great school and, uh, and give him opportunities or her uh, that they never had before. Uh, it is, as you say, straightforwardly farming. It is also unconscionable uh, in my judgment. And I think, yes, I know you and I agree on that, but it also brings up transhumanism. Uh, at what point Precisely. does the medical profession take some responsibility? And if there's, at, and as a foundation, uh, at least ethically of transhumanism, we're watching transgender operations explode in this country. I, and at least oh, don't get me started. Well, I yeah. let's get started because this um, is a big deal. I, I, I'm, I, you know, um, whatever a young adult might choose to do with their body, exposing a, uh, growing immature mind to, uh, these many concepts that, uh, Particular, uh, in particularly in both Texas and Florida, there's active legislative objection to. Mm -hmm. um, I'm so. Let me tell you a story. We had a visitor the other day from Northern California, somebody that we have known, uh, my wife and I, since uh, early high school. Um, uh, and and she stayed in California culture. Uh, and we've moved on in so many different ways. Uh, and so she was here visiting for a few days and we were very careful because there's a lot of things we no longer see eye to eye on politically. Uh, but for her, who, and, and I should mention this uh, now uh, in her 60s, uh, um, mature lady, that we've done all her life has been gay her whole life. But uh, for her, this uh, transgender 
initiative and world and the teaching of uh, basically transgender body politics uh, to youth in the school system in California, she found absolutely shocking. She found the transgender, quote unquote, uh, swimmer, a male swimmer competing in women's swimming, uh, absolutely shocking. So uh, I, I speculate that this may have been a bridge too far, let's hope. Uh, and it's another case where, uh, in my opinion, um, we need some courage in people to stand up and say to the school boards and to the teachers union and whoever else is behind this, no, I'm sorry, you're not gonna do this to my child, to our children, this is just fundamentally wrong. Children need to be allowed to grow and mature without having ideas implanted in their minds about these uh, various sexual practices, roles. Um, you know, the idea that you're placing uh, prepubescent children on uh, hormone blockers uh, because of uh, something they might say uh, in terms of their gender identity, uh, I, I, I just can't see how this is, um, medically ethical, uh, but it, but, you know, California is the state that wanted to push, uh, um, medical consent for receiving a vaccine, uh, way down, uh, into early teen years, uh, for some reason, and the, here's the thing that bothers me most about this, Lou, is it feeds back into that issue of uh, sexual exploitation of underage children, um, which when I first heard about it uh, was really with Pizzagate. I know I'm quite sheltered. Uh, and I thought, well, that's, you know, that was, that was dismissed as crazy QAnon stuff. And then we had Epstein and all the reveals about Epstein and the, and the cover-up of Epstein and Epstein's involvement with so many global leaders. and Oli uh, Oligarchs. Oligarchs. Yeah. <laughs> well, not just oligarchs. Um, the uh, various uh, you know, court jesters and, and uh, followers that surround them, uh, including various politicians that will I don't think we need to go into right now uh, that may have, you know, uh, all the way up uh, in, in our political spectrum. And, um, and now people are showing things to me like photographs of Jill Biden as a 15 year old sitting on 30 plus year old Joe Biden's lap uh, when she was his babysitter. I just, uh, the, the whole thing is, is so deeply wrong uh well, in in yeah, my opinion wrong, but but i you know what it screams in my head when i hear this uh discussion about transgenderism i i first do no harm what happened to the hippocratic oath what happened to the ethics it's it's it, it's just disregarded it's just been thrown out the window why it's, in it's hell is it considered outdated? 
and we we say we have tremendous suicides uh, in this country already. It's a suicide is a national epidemic that no one wants to talk about. But within the transgender community, there are even higher rates of suicide. We see all sorts of you know young people. Uh, they are deeply regretting their decisions. I, and I can't give you the percentage, but it's a it's a sufficiently large number that it's 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 noteworthy. Uh, I, I cannot imagine. And then we have a national program built around introducing the concept to second graders for well, they're actually uh, kindergartners. Yeah. Kindergartners through the yeah. uh, third grade. <clears throat> oh, oh, and then just to, to put uh, icing on the cake, uh, we have um, that bastion of childhood fantasy called Walt Disney uh, Corporation um, actively promoting these same agendas. Again, uh, thank heavens for Ron DeSantis as a voice of sanity. It sounds like the Florida legislature may take away their special standing and privileges uh, yeah, uh, that has driven Walt Disney World down there. But um, I, this, this, I, I just hope, I deeply hope that this is a passing phase. Uh, but even if, if my hope is realized and it is just a passing phase, the, the damage to children is just heartbreaking. It is child abuse. It is it is ignorant, uh, and the medical profession should be ashamed of themselves. Uh, any doctor with his or her salt as a human being to allow this to to go on with children who are not yet near the age of reason, let alone my God, an adult capable of making a decision like this, having it uh, foisted on them by teachers, by teachers, unions, associations, school boards. Uh, I, I, Lou, isn't, just, this, isn't this kind of a, isn't it a logical extension of the sexualization of adolescence that we have seen in fashion and advertising you couldn't and be more right. everything else in media? It's, it's just, it's, it's an incremental, um, uh, it, 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 the, Sad, sick truth is that it is not an isolated thing. It is part of a spectrum that has been developing now for decades. And uh, we, we no longer respect sexual boundaries and autonomy in pre-adolescent children. We, and we haven't for a long time. They are marketed to, they are marketed um, uh, they are, um, the, uh, once again, our, our friends in, in business are quite happy to, uh, exploit them as another market for their goods and services. And, and on top of that, we have the, um, apparently fairly widespread and highly profitable, uh, business of, uh, child trafficking uh, for sexual purposes, which is really, um, you know, sexual slavery of children. Let's call it what it is. Exactly. Uh, and um, and this is these are signs of a deeply, deeply 
sick culture. Uh, what oh, else can, can we conclude? You, you know, doctor, you, your diagnosis, a sick culture, Americans don't even want to acknowledge how sick this culture is. And when I say that the Democrats have become the party of evil because they are Marxist, led by Marxists, leftists, uh, trying to destroy a country that is the greatest constitutional republic, greatest form of government in our country's history, built on exceptionalism, built on law and order. And now we're watching as 80 million, 81 million people want to vote, apparently, and, and tear it all down by putting a man who is obviously impaired and the puppet of Marxist left uh, masters. We are a nation sick as we can get. And the party, I'm telling you, the Democratic oh, no. Party is the I party uh, of evil. <laughs> I'm sorry? Yeah, I, I guarantee it can get worse. Um, right. You just maybe as sick as it could be. Uh, I, um, in my opinion, things can always get worse. Uh, so to your point, I, I have found myself because I, I force my wife and I force ourselves to put out these opinion sub stacks and kind of deep dives on a daily basis. And it's not an easy lift. And, um, it's forced me to go back and look at the language around the American Enlightenment and to start thinking more and more about what that meant in a historical context. It's really only a few hundred years old. I mean, in terms of the span of time of Greece or the Roman Empire, it's it's just, you know, like a week ago. Um, and uh the words, some of the words that they use are dated, but the logic and insights are deep, profound, and enduring. And uh, the that that this, I'm I'm just struck when I go back. And recently, I was reading uh, um, pieces from John Adams in his uh, letters to his wife, uh, and the the they're wonderful intent intellectual intensity and insight in those just seems so modern and relevant and fresh and um uh universal and and then as i look deeper i find that in a way there was this whole period of enlightenment in the west Western world that um, culminated in the American experiment, and we're we've somehow lost an awareness of uh, how deep and profound the gift is that we've been given um, by these. You know, we we reverently call them the founding fathers. They're more than that. They're they're truly philosopher kings. They were intellectual giants. They read obsessively. They were forged in this incredible crucible of resisting this tyrant of the crazy King George. And uh, um, their, their discussions and their insights, I think that uh, all of us 
um, would be well served by spending some time uh, with these, uh, you know, truly great philosophers that gave us the legacy that we have. And, and we should stop the arrogance of believing that somehow uh, what they gave us is irrelevant in the modern times. They were addressing fundamentals of human behavior that haven't changed. Uh, it, it's, it, well, so much has changed around it. Uh, there has been this uh, this movement from the Marxist left again to want to start to teach history, uh, American history, beginning with 1877. Now, what does that do? Uh, that takes out a hundred years of the Enlightenment, as you as you put it, from the from the seeds that were first planted. Well, you can argue that you know uh, Edmund Burke. Uh, it, it, all of the English uh, thinkers of the time, but in American, purely in the American Enlightenment, the the Marxist left would have us take out everything from the uh, the early colonial experience and the Declaration of Independence through uh, the Civil War uh, and and of course Reconstruction and the opening of the Western Frontier. Uh, it is madness what we're letting the left do, and it is not a bipartisan issue. It is not a nonpartisan issue, as so many people prattle on about. This is an issue that demarks our divide in this country, and we have to come to terms with it. And the right, conservatives, Republicans, all who would conserve and preserve the uh, the best of the American Enlightenment, and it's and it's handiwork, if you will, little things like the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, uh, the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, all that is uh, that was invented in, uh, in those in that in the explosion of the uh, Industrial yeah. Revolution as well. This is America. And these fools so are trying Lou, to kill us. Lou, let me let me react to that. Um, I've been getting some coaching from some very savvy uh, media thinkers. Mm -hmm. Well, they'll tell you, don't do thinkers. what I do. <laughs> um, and one of the points they make is that um, they, they coach to me that I have to, that it, it will be um, most useful as I try to find ways to uh, broaden those that are willing to listen to what I have to say that, you know, to be effective, more effective as a communicator that um, I find ways to acknowledge that um, this uh, dichotomy of left versus right um, is, is that I'm not reprimanding you, but uh, no, please do. That, I, I that it, that it may that it's much more useful and more productive to uh, not couch this as uh, far left versus you know the reaction is quote far right no right? polemics um, no polemics I understand uh, uh, but uh, rather um, to acknowledge to to speak about the the core uh, underlying 
belief systems right. and uh, uh, and acknowledge that for a large fraction of the population, um, so there, there's the phrase, the Democratic Party left me, that for a large fraction of the population, they do still believe in these fundamental truths and in the American experiment mm-hmm. and uh, the fundamental tenets of uh, American representative democracy and the wisdom of these uh, uh, philosophers that gave us the gift and um, that uh, they, they uh, may have traditionally uh, identified with the Democratic Party, but the Democratic Party as it exists now is not that which they may have grown up with. And uh, so they're left bereft of, of a home. And, um, and somehow we need to help them find a home. And uh, when we, and so this is why increasingly I'm trying to use the logic that Mm-hmm. The old axis of left versus right is outdated and not useful. Oh. It doesn't. It doesn't uh, help. Uh, it doesn't help people to identify um, where their heart lies and where their political uh, loyalty lies. I, I increasingly am suggesting that the the new political axis is. Uh, on a spectrum that can be defined as uh, those that believe in a system based on a freedom to choose versus those that are invested in a system based on collectivism. And that captures the logic, I think, of what you're talking about. Well, it Um, it, it doesn't. And I think it's, I I really do need to interject here because uh, you're taking us down a path, and I know something of these paths. And I know something of those who argue for relativism. Uh, I do believe that relativism. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, please go ahead. I'm listening. I, I believe that relativism is a, a principal uh, cause of the consternation that we uh, uh, all feel right now. Uh, there is, uh, <laughs> when I say there is such a thing uh, as uh, good versus evil. I think you'll agree that that would be the first conflict that mankind uh, encountered uh, in, in, in the course of our history and uh, in, in our religious teachings of all kinds. Uh, so I, I think that relativism may be a nice way to get someone to buy something that you're selling. I'm not selling something, and I'm not recruiting. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, I could have a quite different career had I chosen to ignore realities. And what we're trying to get people to do is to see realities. You talked about the period of enlightenment. There is nothing in that written uh, by our founders that would suggest that relativism is a very intelligent path toward a foundation for logic, for learning, uh, and the uh, assimilation of both. Correct? I can't think of a one. The letters between Abigail and and John Adams the, the letters between them suggest no room for relativism, as a matter of fact. Their values are loud, they're clear, uh, and they're profound, yeah, I think. No, I, I, yeah, I, I'm sensitive and aware uh, and concur. 
that the logic of moral relativism is a slippery slope that leads to hell. Um, uh, what I'm trying to argue is that there, there are a world of folks that still believe in the, the moral uh, absolutes that you and I were raised with, mm -hmm. uh, but which once upon a time believed the Democratic Party uh, was a home for them and believed in those same precepts. And that is no longer the case. And so they're left, um, some of them are uh, like uh, many of us and like many of the physicians around me that have, were previously center left have gone through the last two years and uh, had a rude awakening and uh, are now um, firmly in the camp of what would normally be structured as center right or right. And, uh, but uh, uh, that we, we represent kind of a vanguard uh, of, of folks that have been subjected to this crucible and have had to come to terms with what we've personally experienced. It's been a rude awakening, uh, but, which experience? but we're there. Which we've had a, an interesting <laughs> several years here. Which experience? Would it be the yeah. experience in which our entire federal government sought to destroy a president, worked to overthrow that presidency, refused to acknowledge the reality and truth to the American people. Not one single whistleblower stepped forward, but indeed in every instance chose to destroy a legitimately elected president of the United States. And did which so over the course was, of, well, yes, but they did more than which, just twice. They, basically they, they was tried to stop him from being tried to get him they tried to block his presidency they then subjected yeah. him to th almost three years of federal investigation i just want to keep the record clear here and then no, tried to impeach I, him twice I, by the I, way okay, that leaves yeah. out two years of special counsel investigation and now they're hounding the man through a soviet style committee called the january 6th committee it is outrageous and you know what we don't have a single institution in the entire left of this country that is saying, my God, they know not what they do. It is outrageous. Um, and, uh, concur, concur. And it is, uh, it was um, a prelude to what um, those of us in the medical profession and allied sciences have experienced. Um, and, uh, I got to say that regarding this, I, you know, once upon a time, I read the Washington Post and the New York Times and listened to CNN. Shame uh, on you. you. I think you. <laughs> but of course, uh, and, I have and, to acknowledge um, that I worked for CNN at one point. Sure. <laughs> so. I was about to mention that. Um, so, uh, but um, my eyes are open now. This is kind of like the argument, well, Robert, you took the jab. Um, and, and I have to say, yep, I own that. Uh, but, uh, it was a mistake and, uh, and that doesn't mean that I shouldn't, uh, speak up and, and share what I know about it so that you might not make the same mistake I did. I, 
my view of Mr. Trump and his presidency, I remember, let me just walk it back a little bit. I remember when he visited Davos with the others and yeah. Macron and all that. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, um, the video showed and the way that it was framed by the press um, presented him as an egomaniac uh, surrounded by reasonable people. And now I know, but I didn't know then, that in fact, he may have been the only sane one in the bunch that wasn't uh, compromised. Uh, and he was, I, I project, I don't know what was in his mind, but uh, he may very well have sensed um, how deeply corrupted that organization was, and he may have been um, uh, resisting it. I don't know, because he sent his daughter to become uh, uh, a um, young leader trainee. So uh, I. Uh, well, she may have chosen have that on her own, but I, I take uh, your point. Very well. Uh, I, I, absolutely. Um, it may be that she was flirting with uh, Justin Trudeau. I have no idea. Um, but in any case, I'll, what I'm saying is the view that I once had of Donald Trump um, has uh, been profoundly altered by my growing awareness of uh, this aspect of how DC and uh, the press and what we casually call the deep state uh, have been interacting. And I, it's again, I, I use the metaphor, you're in a dark room, you back up to the light switch, it suddenly comes on and you can never unsee what you've seen. And uh, the sleeper is awoken. And that's kind of been my travel is uh, but that's, I, I, I have I had I had no idea and, and no I, I was comfortable living in the narrative that was being spun for us, living in the propaganda reality that was spun for us. And I'm no longer that person. I can't live in that world. And um, I'm seeking some way to uh, help others uh, without them having to go through that, you know, the trauma I, that I've I, been I, through uh, to, to see, see what I now see. Well, I think that's wonderful. And I think it's wonderful of you uh, and, and considerate. And uh, but I. At the same time, well, there's a self-interest here. <laughs> well, there always is. Unless, unless we beat them, it's going to go on. This nightmare is going to go on. Uh, but I, I don't so much want to beat them. I want them to see by our conduct and our actions and our words, because you know it's important that they have a place to go. And the Republican Party is quickly becoming more them than it is. Trump. Right now, we have a number of well, that's, that's, right. That's another profound truth. Well, I, I they, concur. That's another deep truth. You're talking about a, a party in which they're talking about putting in Kevin McCarthy as the speaker if they get a seven, you know, a major red wave win in November. This is madness. You have a, a, a country that would give you a red wave election result. And I'm talking 40 30 to 70 house seats. 
and you would put in a rhino who is basically a Democrat who does only what his masters tell him uh, and who is aligned with Mitch McConnell, who is the same kind of animal, only he adds China to his portfolio of influencers. It, it's, it's so important for us to be not absolutist, but to be concrete and specific in what we mean, what our values are. And I think that you have enunciated a perfect basis for that, and that is the American Enlightenment. Our founding values, yeah. if we do not repair to that standard in all things, uh, we will be lost. And, and I think once you do, you have to acknowledge the reality. We are beset by a group yes. of people so in this that, country that who are being to destroy us. So I, I, feel, I feel the tension of what you're saying um, daily. And um, uh, I'm reminded, so uh, in my recent uh, intellectual meanderings, um, uh, I looked into the origin of the term uniparty. And it, it turns out it was coined by Steve Bannon. Whoa. Um, and uh, Steve is. I didn't know that. Even, you know, uh, I, I've had the, you know, this is probably not, this is like saying I hung out with Alex Jones, practically. I've spent a lot of time with Steve and uh, over the last year, and I have learned enormously from him. Uh the man is a true genius. I, I don't see how anybody that knows him can discount that. Uh, and um, he, uh, he is a full, unapologetic media warrior. Uh, and, um, and I'm torn a little bit that um, because my instincts are not to go for the throat and to just cut them, cut the, cut the trachea. Um, Steve's are <laughs> well. You're 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 different. Uh, you you have different jobs and different purposes and yeah. different rules. But, but uh, that gets right to my point. Folks like Steve and yourself are absolutely necessary as the vanguard here. You make it sound like there are no rules for surgeons and uh, the accompanying uh, nurses. Uh, and uh, next tier doctors in an operating room. There's very little discussion about who's boss, uh, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, just so. <laughs> well, we have to have generals. And in this media and information war space, uh, we have to have generals that are are willing that are that are patents. First of all, Steve and I are are good friends. Uh, number two, I you know we are warriors. There's no doubt about that. But don't for a moment think that we're necessary evils. We are good guys, okay? We're really good guys because we love this country. All the people listening to you right now love this country, and they're listening to you because you represent so much hope for a medical profession that will grow the hell up. Turn over your best minds to a cosmetic surgery. Don't turn over uh, those valuable minds to, uh, to, you know, absolutely uh, just carving up human beings uh, before they eat the, reach the age of reason. For God's sake, find a soul and, yeah. and wake yeah, the hell so, up. So um, 
my point is, uh, and I'm sorry that was unfortunate and inappropriate use, necessary evil. And yeah. um, in it for me, um, folks like yourself and Steve are role models, and um, and others, and and mentors. And I learn from you uh, so much about this. Uh, um, incredibly aggressive uh, space, intellectual space I find myself in with modern media. And, um, and it's without that, I, I don't know that I would have been able to keep uh, an even keel psychologically. Yeah. yeah you've gone through um, a lot. I mean, you really have, and, and we thank you for it. I mean, and believe me, I, and I will speak here, not for Steve Bannon, but I'll just say we, and I'll be including him, of course, we know what it's like to suffer the slings and arrows of fools and knaves. Okay? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and that and, gives me inspiration. <laughs> well, when you go into the arena, you, you know, you have no complaints. You cannot, there's no whimpering. There's <laughs> no, there's no quarter you go. And because you believe yeah. uh, in, in in your cause, you believe in this great nation, it's great people, and you know what our founders intended is that we all could be so much more uh, if we simply live our lives uh, in the pursuit of happiness with respect for one another, an egalitarian society that suffers uh, suffers fools, but only at a distance. We don't put them in our damn government. Uh, and we have to be, uh, you know, we have to be keenly, well, I, keenly I think aware our, of that. Our history on that one has been checkered. Um, but, <laughs> I, think that, uh, I think that's a fair statement. We have so, our convention of always giving our guests the last word. We've reached that moment, and I gladly turn it over to you for the last word, Doctor. Well, thanks, Lou. Um, so the last word for me is uh, we are coming out of this. There is hope. Uh but we have got a heavy lift ahead of us if we're to um, reduce the risk of uh, these globalists doing this to us again. And uh, the, the phrase is overused, we have to take back our country, but uh, I, I'm convinced that's where we are. And uh, with your help, uh, you and your audience, um, I'm in it for the for the long haul, and uh, it's not always fun, uh, but but there is a lot of uh, comfort in all of the support I get when we travel, and the messages that people send us on social media and personally, even little letters we get um, uh, that that gives us comfort, Jill and myself that we are doing the right thing and this is a fight worth fighting. And, and I do, do strongly recommend and encourage that all of us take a moment um, as you read uh, your favorite uh, sections in whatever religious text you ascribe to, in many it's the Bible, but also take a little bit of time to go back and read the, the wisdom of those uh, amazing people that gave us the American Enlightenment because uh, their words still ring true and they, we still have a lot to learn from them.
and I'm learning from them every day. And I hope uh, you can you can help me, and I can help you to learn from them also. Well, I get to pay you back one of those concurrences. I concur, <laughs> Dr. Malone, one hundred percent, and say Amen as well. Dr. Robert Malone, thanks for being with us. You're a great American. You are a terrific, terrific guest. Thank you. As you've just heard, Dr. Malone has had to suffer slings and arrows from the entrenched establishment and orthodoxies of all kinds, in particular, the Marxist left and media. We give him great credit for being a great American. Tomorrow here, our guest has taken slings and arrows as well from the American left and never wavered in doing so. She's been a dissenter as well, the target of the Democratic establishment. She never got her day in court, by the way, but she had serious grievances. But she has persevered, and she's been banned by Twitter, just like the president she supported. We'll hear her story here tomorrow, and it's a story you don't want to miss. Our guest will be Juanita Broderick, bright and original and a warrior, right here tomorrow on The Great America Show. We want to invite you to sign up for our Great America Show Advisory and Newsletter. Simply go to LouDobbs.com, that's LouDobbs.com, and click on the email newsletter button. It's as simple as that. And we'll send you our advisories and alerts, as well as our weekly newsletter. I don't want to overstate anything, but I'm pretty sure you will absolutely sense at least a small positive change in your world outlook. We invite you to join us and stay in touch. Thank you. That's ludobs.com. Thanks. God bless you and God bless America.